Hey everyone, Dave here. Just wanted to give a special pre-show shout out to our first four patrons, Michael, Max, Brian, and Jordan. They've all decided to kick in a couple bucks a month at patreon.com slash emnetwork, and it's going a long way towards getting us better equipment to improve the show quality and paying for things like hosting space. We really appreciate their support, and we'd really appreciate yours too if you're even considering it, and even if you're just listening. Thanks a lot, everyone. Now I'm on the show. Maybe some cat background noise. Oh, that's fine. <laughs> I, I, I believe that your podcast will become instantly more popular if there is the sound of a cute cat or dog. It is <laughs> it is the rule of life and the internet. Um, welcome back, everyone. Uh, this is uh, episode two of Exo of Exo Friends, an Exo Squad podcast. My name is David Hoyt, and I am joined by uh, Kayvon Fishami um, and my cat, our, our cat Squeetus. And Lexi DeConing, uh, very good at awkward silences. <laughs> We're all, uh, from from editing the first episode. We are all very good at awkward silences. I'm <laughs> <laughs> in the background. Okay, what are you okay? I'll manage. Sorry. I have I have I have a yearly cough that I get. So you'll probably hear me mute myself every once in a while and, and just try to cough. It's it's terrible, especially right now, because everyone looks at me strangely in the grocery store like, do you have it? Right. Do you have the, the Ronies? Yeah. Well, and everything is on fire here right now. There's like yeah. a huge pall of smoke like hanging over the area and like I, I think saw... it's giving me COPD. Oh, that's not good. I'm, I, I hope I'm kidding. I hope you're kidding too. Uh, I saw I saw one of you post something about that on Facebook, and I'm like, I didn't know that all of that had reached you guys. I thought that was still just a the western side of the Rockies thing. Well, so all the fire from California and like the Northwest comes over here too, and then on top of that, like we have a bunch of fires up in the mountains also um, out here. So there's some that are you know within a few hours, so we get. Smoke plumes. We got a huge one coming on Friday that, like, it looked like I don't know, it was like the end of the world or something outside. It was really grim. We we hear on the east uh, in the east coast. I guess I'm Columbus, so it's not really the east coast, but it's still it still kind of is. We are we live in the wet bog of the eastern half of the United States, so we don't catch right. a fire as often as that side. Yeah, yeah, which is like exactly where you want to live. Like living somewhere that's prone to ridiculous fires all the time is dumb and this is a terrible place to live that no one should ever inhabit <laughs> why do we live in these places there you have it folks not only an exo squad podcast but also advice on not ever living in colorado so you know. or anywhere else prone to massive wildfires <laughs> anywhere in the west <laughs> yeah you want to like you want to watch out for massive wildfires floods neosapien invasion like all of these things you know you want to make sure at the very least and if you're going to live in these places you need to make sure that you have a good insurance policy 
right? You you look at the insurance rates, and if they if they suddenly spike based on your zip code, don't live there. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely not. All right, uh, back back to what we're really here to talk about: Exo Squad. We we talked last week. We talked about generalities in episode one, and uh, this week I wanted to try to get through episode two and episode three. Um, episode two is that could do you you'll. You'll hear me love all the titles of these episodes. Fall <laughs> of the Human Empire, Seeds of Deception. Um, right. Char- Charles McKenna, yet again, is still narrating for us. Uh, picking up where uh, the, the last episode left off, uh, uh, they're talking about how they've engaged the pirates. Bronski is in some deep shit. He's being uh, pursued by a couple of pirate... I, I hesitate. I always wonder if you should call them E-frames whenever you see those fighters. It seems like they do in the show, but they always switch. Like sometimes they have these space jets, and sometimes they have you know human mecha suits. But he's he's being chased by two space jets, and um, it seems like Brodsky's a much better pilot in space than he is on the ground. Even though his uh, <laughs> his his suit is actually like supposedly designed for ground-based assault it's two barrel guns like um but he is uh he is saved by takagi uh before he is murdered by pirates and i found out takagi is a japanese name and it means tall tree i don't know there you have it well so delion is apparently french so it yeah. seems like everyone in the future simply has like a, an american tv accent so, I mean, he may very well like be born and bred in Japan, but it's just apparently English is the universal language and we all sound like a news anchor now. The good the good people, the good humans have like like you said American TV accents no matter where they're from, which I don't know, is that weird? It seems like there should be more accents because we find out later that people have Australian accents, but that's, that's really true. Weird. Besides them and the pirates, that's about the only accents I can think of. Yeah, as I say, maybe it's like Starship Troopers, where you know it's like, oh, this is set in Rio de Janeiro, and this guy's name is Rico or whatever, but he's like blonde-haired, blue-eyed, super American Midwestern boy. Uh, although you're right, like the Australians are the only ones who seem to have accents. Uh, but I guess we don't want to spoil too much that's coming. Maybe like maybe I don't know. No one wanted to take up the Australian accent, and they're like on their own islands, nations. Mm-hmm. So. Maybe they did some kind of like cultural nationalist protectionism thing where it was like, you know, centuries of American cultural hegemony of like smoothed out everyone else's accents and we all speak perfect like American TV English, except for Australia that did this like hardcore nationalist thing and like closed their borders and didn't let in like American products and all this stuff. And that's why they're also like, so like, you know, we're not going to do what you tell us to, as we'll get to later with their resistance. (laughs) Well, yeah, that, that 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 you're right. That is the only seeming that is the biggest case of that later down the line. Whenever right. people try to do things, the Australians are like, "No, that's no, we're not going to do that. We're going to do what we want to do, and it, it, for no good reason either." But we'll get we'll right. get to that in later episodes. I, I love those parts. Yeah, the, Takagi saves Bronski, um, and then Bronski turns around and starts. Starts murdering pirates and he loves it. He's like, "Yeah, I'm gonna kill some <laughs> fucking pirates." It's like, dude, you are you are in a war. You are committing. You are killing people. Ah, it's all good fun though, right? They're fine. Right. 
everyone, <laughs> everyone can survive an explosion in the vacuum of space. Right. It's, not, it's not sociopathic if you're the good guy, right? Right, right. And these are just awful, awful space pirates. So fuck that. <laughs> They're subhuman garbage. They they don't they don't live on the uh, on the inner planets. So they're obviously just taking up space. Right. But uh, <laughs> well, we get past that though, and it goes it goes to the bridge of the Resolute, and I think we touched on this a little bit previously, where like Charles McKenna some. Ha- seems like this stowaway with amazing access to everything going on on the, what's basically like a command aircraft carrier and he gets on the bridge and admiral winfield is like what the fuck are you doing here <laughs> and he calls for security which we're standing right outside the door so they had to let him in right uh, it's like how do you have this how is your operational security this bad right I, I, I feel I feel like uh, had, if Marcus had been in charge, he would have just shot him, <laughs> like right there. Be like, no one gets on my bridge. Bam! Right on live TV. Summary execution, um, like six o'clock news. I thought that was kind of interesting because, again, when was the show made? Like, I know we spoke about this. Ninety-three, ninety-four. So yeah, like prior to. Jeez, I don't know. I mean, I only came to political consciousness like post nine eleven, but I feel like once. Once, like, the uh, Iraq war already kicked off, it was like, you you know, American journalists were mostly just there to, like, report on, look at, look at what the army's doing. We are here doing things. Like, there was no critical, uh, no critical edge. Oh, hello. You can hear a cat. Um, <laughs> so I was like, oh, this is kind of interesting because it portrays a future where, like, journalists might actually portray the, the military in a bad light. So that uh, the, the time period. <laughs> We talked about that a little bit last time too. Whereas, where what what era of war reporting was this in? And it was before the. I think you brought it up, Lexi. Before like newscasters had been rolled into the military as kind of like cheerleaders to show how how good our fighting boys are doing against the enemy. And I, I'm not really sure what war reporting was back then. Like I have a vague recollection of the newscasters kind of being near the front line but never actually on it and they would just like stand and say well we're here and we're going over and we're and we're fighting and that's really all i can tell you well one of the issues with like the vietnam war was you had a lot of journalists who would just travel on their own to vietnam um because technically vietnam was not at war uh or at least we weren't at war with vietnam um, and so they would travel to Vietnam and then just wander around on their own, go to like, you know, American bases, sometimes like be there during firefights and stuff and would uh, just report their own sort of line. And there's this sort of, it's not really a conspiracy theory, but this right wing narrative about how that was part of what cost the Americans the war. Cause like there's, you know, of course the right wing story about the war is that like we were winning Vietnam, everything was fine. We were killing way more of the enemy than they were killing of us, blah, blah, blah. Um, but it's these damn media guys get over here and they're framing the war and they're reporting on things like My Lai, um, you know, it's just like a pretty horrible, horrendous massacre committed by U.S. troops. And like, so they're sending this different message home and they're making it look like we're losing the war. And that's what helped turn American public opinion against Vietnam, um, which is something that, uh, you know, the... Um, the military kind of took to heart and that's where you see even with the you know just like the crazy media management of the first gulf war and then of mm-hmm. course like the embedding of the of the iraq war in 2003 how can i commit my war crimes if you're constantly filming me 
Right, in ways that I don't want you to, right? <laughs> the idea is much more like let's let's give you all access, but in ways that we can control it. And then, you know, we don't have you wandering onto the bridge in the middle of a giant space battle. Instead, <laughs> we can have you filming the stuff we want you to film, but you can still feel like you're part of the process and you're participating. How how interesting would it would it be if 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 this cartoon actually like went into that kind of nuance about this? Because really, really, this scene is more about Charles Mechanic getting on the bridge and Admiral Winfield being annoyed by it, like right. more than him being like, "No, don't watch what I'm doing because it's terrible." It's just like, "Get the fuck out of my way." <laughs> right. Of course, if he's if he's broadcasting it live, like he says he's doing, the pirates could be watching that broadcast. Right, and that would be right. bad. Right. We need a, a live action, like I don't know, adult reboot of the show to answer all of these deep questions that the show was clearly not written to answer. Yeah, like yeah, I hope you're listening, HBO. Yeah, <laughs> this is this is good material right here. We could we could we could get an HBO series or a Netflix series. Eh? Eh? Let's yeah. pitch it. They, they sign yeah. everything. I know. And it would like, I mean, I think it could be really engaging, really gripping, like, and, you know, you could deal with the violence and the gore of it without having to like worry about the constraints of a children's cartoon. So I was, I was actually thinking about this a while back and I don't, I, I don't know if you guys ever look at like the, you know, best cosplays of the year or anything like that. But a couple of years ago when, uh, in the Avengers, one of the Avengers movie, they had like Tony Stark's Hulkbuster suit. Some dude built that and took it to like a comic-con and walked around in it and if if a cosplayer if like an amateur cosplay engineer can build that i'm sure someone could build these e-frames and really it's just my dream to have someone do that for me and get like <laughs> my 10 best friends and like get five of them with like neo sapien prosth prosthetic makeup and like five of them dressed up as exo squad members and just walk into like comic-con and have people be like what i don't know what this is from <laughs> right. i do not recognize the copyright to this one what is that yeah right <laughs> but and then at this point so they they start getting the resolute starts getting blasted and alec they cut to a scene where Alec DeLeon, the intelligence officer, just kind of casually lands on a pirate ship, and he's like, "Oh, where's where's the uh, where's the power source here?" And just shoots it and blows it up and flies away. <laughs> it's like, why? Wait a minute. <laughs> How good right. is Alec DeLeon? Really good, or are the pirates just really dumb? Right. It's like, why put this really critical piece of your ship's infrastructure? You know, like whatever your power source is, like right here on top of your ship, on the outer hull, papered over by, like, what, like a thin sheet of metal, like a manhole cover or something. Yeah, there, there actually is, like, a hatch right there that he just shoots open. <laughs> yeah, it's just like, why? <laughs> what is this design? And right after that, but then right after that, they show a able squad, like, firing on the pirate capital ship, and they can't hurt it because it's too armored. Too many shields! Too many shields. It's too thick. We can't blast through it. And you get you get a you get a really brief glimpse of an of a character who's going to be important later. And she like she has like a yellow version of Bronsky's suit, and she kind of like sails by as like she's on fire. Apparently, she survives this, but uh, she's she becomes she's not a main character, but she she is important to Able Squad later. And I thought that was really neat to see her there. Uh, who who was was this Alice? 
Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. Just curious because I missed that actually. So that's that's really it's, interesting. It's it's like less than a second. It's really it's really on screen. You see her face just kind of sail by that that capital ship, and it looks like she's trying to get away from that fight. Mm. And, and you don't see her again until until what what I'm talking about happens later right, on. Right. Uh, one of the later episodes, can't remember which one. But Takagi comes up and he just, instead of shooting the hull of the ship, he's just, "I'm going to shoot the guns." You know, it's just, and it works. But it, there's this weird animation error where he's not actually shooting anything; he's just flying by the guns, <laughs> and they explode. And I guess he's too close because he gets injured and knocked out. And Bronsky saves him with his badass grappling hook. And we're going through this episode real fast because a lot of it is this space battle and describing every little thing that happens is probably yeah. not the best way to go about it. But yeah, just hitting the important beats here and there. Um, Sabaka is ready to go down fighting, but one of his flunkies is like, why don't we go back to our base? <laughs> Actually, like, that's pretty funny. I love Sabaka, firstly, as a character, just it's like a big hairy dude. I'm here for it. Um, <laughs> I think he's awesome, like his design. But I took like a note while we we're watching the show because he's like, I don't oh, fuck, I'm trying to remember the details now, but basically he's like, no, you know, if all the pirates must die, then the pirates must die. Like we have to just go full out here for this battle. Like, fuck it, we'll go down in a blaze of glory. Uh, and then the other guy's like, but wait, maybe we could live to fight another day. And he's like, okay. <laughs> Good idea. <laughs> it's like, Good oh, idea. I didn't think of that. <laughs> it's like it's this like radiant passion like if we all must die and then all of a sudden it's like oh yeah okay that's a great idea sure why not my note just said or sorry i was gonna say like my note just says simbaka let's kill everyone also simbaka let's not everyone needs that friend in life who's like you need to settle down <laughs> we, we we have bases that we could probably fight from a defensive position instead of being out here totally exposed to their fleet guns <laughs> Yeah, especially when we like, you know, put power packs on the outsides of our ships so they can be destroyed. <laughs> like, Who designed these ships? <laughs> right. It was you, sir. Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> Out the airlock with you. Right? Like where was this helmsman when they were designing? It was like, maybe we should put this inside behind some armor. Like, I hadn't thought of that. Maybe we should build the rest of our ships with this super armor that they apparently can't Im is impenetrable, right? <laughs> right. Maybe Pirate University is a lot of like how to tie a headscarf, how to grow facial hair, how to have a vaguely ethnic accent, but there's not a lot of like good engineering going on at Pirate U. It's mostly a liberal arts university, unfortunately. <laughs> well, and we don't need that, do we? No, we don't need any of that, especially when you're trying to be a space pirate. You gotta, it's all STEM. All STEM all the time, guys. Come on. Yeah. All, all STEM with like uh, three semesters of Spanish. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, like the pirates do look like they're like denizens of like Williamsburg and Brooklyn or something. Like it's just like a giant, you know, hipster hangout. Ooh, that's a that's a good that's a good angle for them. We didn't we didn't have hipsters yet in the early nineties. Well, do right. we have the equivalent of hipsters in something? I can't think I mean, of anything. You've always had the equivalent of hipsters. Like, I mean, going all I mean, like Julius Caesar was kind of a hipster. Like, you know, he wore a fringe toga and like sometimes wore pants, which was like, ooh, you know, like not something Romans did. Um, so like, 
Yeah, pants was like a barbarian thing. It was like, well, those like those wily Celts and Germans in their pants. And pants their in my Senate, I won't have it. <laughs> exactly, but exactly though. So like, it was a uh, you know, and like I mean, like the whole notion of like being bohemian. You know, if you think about like the the beatniks and stuff of the fifties and sixties, it was like the hippies of there, the you know, like the the hipsters of then, and hippies even, you know, and. It, that that thing has always been around to some extent and yeah i mean you think about the pirates they're kind of bohemian they're just floating around doing their own thing you know if you kind of conveniently ignore the hyper violence <laughs> since at least it's aesthetically this show definitely like uh i don't know predicted hipsters because i have no i have a note here like the next scene there's a hipster girl at the bar but yes <laughs> yeah i love that oh my god oh it's like so are we thinking of the same one? Like yeah, the, 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 in the background? The one with like a chest wrap over her boobs and like the really floppy red like hair. Yeah, she's got like the nutter, like awesome like side cuts, but it's huge, like 80s, kind of like coming over the one side of her head. And then she's also wearing giant, like thick rim black glasses. Yes. She's she's the sexiest future librarian. Yes. <laughs> oh, I love it. I love it. That's what I'm here for. Uh, well, so we're getting to that. We're getting to that beautiful scene. Uh, so yeah, like you said, the, his helmsman is like, "Well, maybe we shouldn't die," and they leave. <laughs> They're just like, "Well, peace out. We're going to our base. Yeah. Hope you follow us." And Marcus is like, "Yeah, we won." And Winfield's like, "Hmm, I don't know. <laughs> Could be a trick." Uh, and back on Earth, we we get we get to Phaeton, who's he's watching the news about this, and he's like, "Yeah, that's what I want. I want them there." And it's like, "Huh? Why would Phaeton want the Exo Fleet away from Earth? Who knows?" Right. Which is something like we were talking about. When we were rewatching this. Um, is it's like it's all this like there's all these moments with Phaeton that are like super ominous when he's like, you know, like, "Oh, soon they won't be able to make fun of us." Mm, dun dun dun. And it's like, oh yeah, this would be like way more ominous and way more effective if you didn't tell me what was about to happen, like in the next episode at the start of the series. Like, just, just don't, just leave it out of that, uh, out of that beginning sequence for like mm, five episodes, and you got a, you got a really powerful turn there. Like, there's some really obvious foreshadowing, but you know, it it turns, it turns a okay. I'm waiting for it to happen. To oh my god, it happened. The uh, you know you know what I wish they would have done, and they do it a lot in anime nowadays, uh, where they have these really well done opening sequences. And if if it's a shonen anime, uh, based off like really long running comic series, they'll change the intro and outro to the show every I think like twenty episodes or something like that. And a lot of times nowadays, they'll have just tiny tiny little hints of things that will happen in the in the episodes that have that intro but they're never really overt and kind of like a little obtuse but after that 20 episodes is over you look back at it you're like oh that's why okay i really i really wish like western studios would have had that level of creativity back then right and i'm sure they did but they didn't executed very well uh we'll have the budget it's yeah just, or have the budget you know you gotta yeah. pay more people to do more animation and this yeah is we're, we're doing it cheap i also sorry speaking of, 
speaking about doing the animation on the cheap, which this show is not. Like, to its credit, I think, you know, it's doing really well for what it is. But uh, it's really weird that at the beginning of each episode, when they're like, last time on XO Fred, like, the replay is always worse than the actual thing itself. Like, yeah, and I, I, I had a note about I had a note about that in the, in my episode three notes where it was like, it almost looks like you're watching an old timey newsreel before a movie. Yes. Right. Right. You almost expect so, to see like the cigarette mark on the film. Right. Is there something about like animation that they couldn't just use the animation like or what like it was this like the pre production or like pre post production like they hadn't done their post production smoothing it out yet. And just like save that for the the interest. Like I don't. I mean, I don't know enough about animation to know. But like, what is the reasoning behind this? It seems almost purposeful to me. And I, and I really do like. I I do think that maybe they were trying to go for that. Like you're watching almost a newsreel telling you the recap, but there's no like good narrator or anything to tell you it is a newsreel. It just looks like shitty camera quality. And I don't I don't know why they did that. I, I, I'm glad I'm not the only one who caught that because I was like, did am I am I am I catching this right? But it really does look it's like it's darker, it's grainier, uh and the animation is uh, a little off put like they're almost missing some key frames here and there. It's really right. weird. But so we're back. We're back on Earth with Phaeton. He watches the news about this, and then we cut immediately to this bar, where uh, this, this we soon find out there's a cop named Napier who is like ex an ex Exofleet pilot, and uh, he starts a fight with your stereotypical bar bully who wants to change the TV channel from the newscast about the fight with the pirates because uh, you know. Yeah, I hate I hate it when the news is on at the bar, and I feel the need to start a fist fight about it. And I really like the this quick little fight scene because uh, yeah, the big dude just swings at him, and Napier kind of does some like clever grappling where he grabs his belt mm-hmm. and just kind of tosses him into a table and diffuses the situation. Of course, he breaks the fucking bar, and the bartender who kind of looks like Ming the Merciless. right it's like with also like a bit of a strong like if professor xavier could walk and was young and handsome kind of thing a little bit too like somewhere in there oh you know i see that i see that now that you say it it's professor professor x with a single ponytail and a pencil mustache right in his, in his young college days, when he was still like young and handsome, but not 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 like the not like the shitty one who used his psychic powers to to pick up women <laughs> from, from from the newer movies, which I, I kind of like. I appreciate it, but at the same time, like you, yeah, exactly. That's, That's kind of creepy. <laughs> why would you do that? Well, I mean, we know, I know why. We know why he would do it. <laughs> I mean, like as a writer, like why would you write? Oh, anyway, okay, never mind. I'm not gonna. <laughs> <laughs> no, go I'm for it. <laughs> I, I'm I'm fully on board with bashing, like just these depictions, because like, yeah, I almost look at it from a point of view nowadays. It's just like, man, no wonder everyone thinks men are fucking gross. <laughs> 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 right. Oh. Me, me as the harshly oppressed white male, I have to I have to defend myself from these depictions. Uh, <laughs> it, it, but so he, he, the bartender's like, "Get out! You're breaking my bar." And uh, 
well, sorry, before that, he asked for something called a B complex chaser. And I'm like, what, what does that mean? So I looked it up yeah. and like, it's got, it's, it's, I'm guessing it's a mix of a bunch of vitamin B supplements mm. for, to promote good health or maybe end his hangover. As you were talking about earlier, Lexi, about just the style going on in this bar. It is incredible. I love the lady who's sitting next to Napier. She is rocking that look. Absolutely. Yeah. No, I, I, yeah. When I saw her, I was just like, that's, she's a hipster to the max. I love it. I bet she only drinks like fair trade coffee and she plays the ukulele in her spare time. <laughs> you know, she was actually there to play a ukulele set. Yeah, until he trashed the bar. Yeah, yeah. It ruined, ruined her show. Ruined her show. Just, what yeah, it might have potentially derailed this lady's ukulele career, even. That could have been her big break. Could have right? been. Could've Sean been. Napier, man. Yeah. Uh, what a jerk! <laughs> and uh, the uh, he he walks away and he pays with something that looks like little tiny green Doritos. And yeah. They, I, <laughs> and uh, I like why is there still cash? Like we, right. we've we've almost completely done away with it by twenty twenty. I there's no way it still exists at this point in the future. And not just cash, but like it's like as he's walking out, he's like, "This will cover it." It was like thinking it's like those are just bits of plastic. Like, <laughs> I think like he was like, like so he says, "Like, oh, did he just cut up his credit card?" <laughs> Maybe those were his credit cards. Like he, just, he's, he threw them on the bar. You're like here, just take these. There's only enough credit to pay for one table and my two drinks. Right. <laughs> like one one of these should still have some credit left on it. Maybe that's it. No, I like that explanation. I like that explanation. So he le- he leaves the bar and he goes to this ceremony. It's like a it's like a sister city signing ceremony between Chicago and the capital of Mars, Magnus City. I love that name. I want to live in Magnus City. Uh, then the uh, is Napier like because he came from a bar? Is he drunk? Probably. I, I was wondering because, like, yeah, he's coming from a bar to go straight onto duty at like a big public event, and when it's like one of his fellow officers, whatever, sees him, I can't remember the dialogue is exactly, but I wrote this part down. He says, "Oh, like, sorry, I'm late or whatever. I was just discussing current events with a concerned citizen," which is like <laughs> his like joking euphemism for getting into a bar fight with a guy who like didn't want to watch pirates getting exploded on TV. Um, I don't know, and I was just like, "Is that what cops do nowadays? Like when they go to?" Second tier guess some protesters. They're discussing <laughs> current events with a concerned citizen. Don't mind me. So I I, I will t- I will tell the I will tell this story. I went to a um, police officer recruiting event here in Columbus, Ohio, and I would one hundred percent believe some of these other people who were there at that event. Not the police officers, but the people who were thinking about getting into being a police officer, I would absolutely believe that most of those people would have come to work drunk because half of the time I spent there, I swear to God was people asking questions about guns. And it was so weird. It's like, is this really what you're trying to recruit? (laughs) Right. Like just a bunch of gun toting gun nuts that like, just like, yeah, I just want any excuse to use this gun, please. Well, it got it got to the point where the guy like because they had a whole section of this presentation devoted to 
talking about like the armory and the guy who ran the armory actually had to at some point he's like does anyone have any questions not specifically about like how legal it is for you to carry your ar-15 in your car because you're a cop and then all the questions stopped (laughs) yeah he was like um so how many drugs are in the evidence locker yeah right it it was it was real weird but uh, off of that off of that divergence uh it's the the cops the cops have a much more standard uniform than the exo fleet they're still strapped with guns like why do they have chest guns right yeah what like that's another thing it's like came when we were watching this is like what is with this like penchant for just strapping a gun to like not even just your chest but like the very top of your chest above your breastbone like right below your neck it's like i have a handgun there nothing possibly could go wrong with this gun pointing directly at my heart that I'm trying to pull out of this holster right now. Nothing ever could possibly go wrong here. You have to like chicken wing your arm to like get your hand onto the handle so you can pull it out upward. Right. Like, it's like, ha I got you now, criminal. But they also have batons strapped to their arm, kind of like Rita's arm knife. Right. It's nothing but nothing but weapons. But uh the militarization you know it's it's what's in right now yeah Yeah. i mean after the obama administration's program of transferring a bunch of weapons (laughs) to the cops like this is what that looks like in 100 years they the the they actually they actually the military just became the police and then they had to recruit a whole new military to start the exo squad (laughs) right uh there's there's some racists in the crowd though and they start yelling and causing problems of as phaeton comes up to give a speech at a podium and they're yelling about the first neo-sapien war and the one guy's like they killed my wife when she was 20 years old and napier has to like shoo them away but there's this little subtle tiny bit of animation where like phaeton's standing at the podium and he has his hands on it and when they start yelling he crushes part of the podium with his bare hands right damn i didn't notice that yeah it was super subtle i did i i never noticed it until this watch through and like just demonstrating like how strong neo sapiens are it's it's just one of those one of those little things that I think makes the show really good. But then, like an animation area error, the podium is fixed again in the next in the next frame. Right. But, right. Um, but so, like, it's one of the things I kind of like. I, I like about the subtlety of this show is that it's like this is another indication of just like the the constant shit that Neosapiens have to put up with from humans, and like where you know someone like Phaethon's enmity and and like and and loathing for humans comes from, right? Like it's just this constant, constant battering and constant, just, Oh, even a reminder of like, how dare you like rebel against your, like more or less slavery that we had, we kept you in. And like, they're still not even free, right? Like, you know, they have some governorship over Mars, but they seem to still be like far from fully autonomous. And like, it's just like that crowd too. What's interesting is like, it's a bunch of people who don't look that old. Even the guy that's like, they killed my wife 50 years ago. She was only 20 years old. Like, it's like, bro, you don't look like you're 70, you know? And then like, it's like, how many of these people actually remember the Neo-Sapien uprising? How many of them are like, we can't trust the Sapes. It's like, all you've ever known is like Neo-Sapiens being peaceful. You know, like Napier has this line. I had this in my notes later on. I guess we can come to that in a minute, but he says like, I haven't forgot what you Sapes did 50 years ago. 
And it's like you were. There's no way you were alive 50 years ago. How, yeah. Of course you couldn't have forgotten, or you could. Like you, there's nothing for you to remember. Yeah. Like anyone, anyone who fought in that war has to be at least what? Because I think Napier actually says 55 years ago. You have to be at least like 72 years old, right? Something like that. You have, it's like Winfield and younger. He's like Winfield. You know, we'll learn that later on. But he's a veteran of the conflict. Yeah. It's like Vin, Winfield and older. And and we don't know how long Neo Sapiens live at this point, but I think we've I think we've gotten an implication that Phaeton was around for that war. Uh, yeah, it'll be discussed later. But most of the Neo Sapiens that are alive now were around for that. Um, yeah. Or maybe not most of them, but like a lot of the key Neo Sapien figures that you encounter across the show were participants in the initial uprising for sure. So they they seem to live much longer, you know. And I think they're kind of born into adulthood and then are probably programmed to live, you know. Because like why? Why, if you're going to genetically engineer something to do slave labor for you, why engineer it to die, right. you know, sooner when you could have it last for hundreds of years? Yeah. Uh, but this this is all a preamble to some real shady looking dude standing behind a uh, flag and he cuts a hole in it and he puts out a rifle because he's going to shoot Phaeton and Napier saves Phaeton. Uh, barely. The bullet bounces off the incredibly indestructible microphones at the podium. <laughs> it's like, ting! Uh, microphone. That's right. Very high quality. I, I, need, I need some future, future tech microphones to wear as body armor. The, uh, and it cuts away and you, you, see Nap you hear Napier struggling with this guy and then you hear another gunshot and people start yelling, he's shot! He's shot! And this show that doesn't shy away from showing people exploding in space won't show Napier getting shot in the arm. Like, right. Oh, it's suspense, but yeah. Yeah. But that's where we draw the line though. Couldn't, couldn't show a through and through bullet in the arm. <laughs> but, right. Uh, but what you do get you're treated to is that just like really, you know, like hyper symbolic image of the banner of the yeah. Neoshapian and the human hand shaking, then like ripping and tearing as everyone's screaming. That that was real good. That uh, I, I was gonna bring that up. That's that's again just another one of those little things about this show. It has a bunch of little moments where it's like this is this is good. This is good. The next scene is uh, Napier being bandaged up in the mayor's office, which seems a little strange. And uh, he he tells Phaeton to fuck off when he comes to thank him for saving his life. Right. And this is where he says, like, I haven't forgotten what you saves did 50 years ago. And it's like, no, you you knew you never remember it in the first place. You weren't here. <laughs> it's like, uh, you might remember what your shitty history book tells you if if our if our history books as children were any indicator. But you know, maybe there's some stuff you don't know about puny human. Right, right. And it's just like, and this, I mean, this I think this is like one of the things that really gets at what the show I think does well in terms of the way that it frames the Neo-Sapien human conflict is like, it's been 50 years. The Neo-Sapiens haven't done anything. They're still not even fully free. And like, and yet people are still treating them like they're, they're second-class citizens, like they're subhuman, like they're, they're not trustworthy and they're violent and dangerous. And yes, of course, like Phaeton, you know, like we're about to find at the end of the episode, yes, they are violent and dangerous, but like it's, it kind of pushes you to ask, like, is Phaeton and, and a lot of these Neo-Sapiens that are willing to follow him and commit some pretty heinous, you know, crimes against humanity over the course of the show, 
are they like this because of that constant treatment, that constant demonization, something literal demonization, as we'll probably talk about here in a coming scene, like, and it's like, you know, like, are, is this whole war a product of humanity's making? I would say yes. <laughs> uh, I mean, they, they, they have their first uprising and they gain their freedom, which is good, right? They, uh, they lose the war and they're still given their, uh, as you brought up, quote unquote, freedom. You get Mars, that's all you get. Be thankful that's what you get. And, right. you know, it's... Yeah, I think he even says it later. We we signed that agreement with a gun to our head from an oppressor. Right, right. Because it's not like they just like, it's not like humanity is like, oh, yeah, okay, like, great. It's, you know, they crushed the rebellion, butchered a bunch of Neo Sapiens, and then like forced them into a peace. But that's just, that's just our, our hippie liberal cuck, uh, <laughs> tolerant left, tolerant left speaking, Kayvon. That's, that's right. <laughs> Exactly. Coffee drinking hipsters, you know, talking about stuff they don't understand. Yeah. Well, in the future, in the future, we'll be in chasers. A, yeah, in the future, we'll be drinking our B complex chasers at our space ukulele bar with uh, space marijuana brownies. <laughs> paying for everything in space plastic triangles. Yes, good. Paying paying for everything with our space green Doritos. Yep. <laughs> uh, so af- after this, we go back to the Exofleet. And uh, Takagi is is in in the hospital. He's unconscious, and Bronski has apparently faked a shower injury to uh, sit there by his side. And I, I really like the relationship between these two. It's not like it's not cynical. It's not too patronly. It's just it seems like an older brother watching out for his little kid brother. Right. Two people who are genuinely friends. Yeah. Uh, oh sorry i was just gonna say like in the opening kind of battle scenes there's also that little bit of like banter between them um and i think like bronski like compliments kaz is flying or something he's like thanks old man yeah (laughs) weird eye contact moment across the void uh and then here again i also like made note of that i was like oh like bronski has to find an excuse to just come check on his friend he's like oh i I totally slipped in the shower like ooh. I I have survived everything you've seen me go through up to this point, but the shower, that did me in. <laughs> right. don't, they, don't they comment on his like body odor all the time as well? So maybe this is maybe he does have trouble handling showers. Maybe he does. Like <laughs> he has to wash himself with a rag on a stick. Like he's like genuinely scared of getting in the water. <laughs> <laughs> he had some severe childhood trauma there that we ha- that we haven't explored yet. Right. Uh, and and G- G- there's a gold mine here, right? Like we get into Bronski's backstory and everything. I'd watch. A, I'd I'd read a whole comic series about Bronski and like, because he's obvious. He's what, forties, late thirties, somewhere in there. Yeah, I would imagine he's about our age or a bit a bit older, but like, I certainly f- no older than like forty five. I feel like he's been in the Exo Fleet at least as long as JT has, if not longer. Right, right. But as like an enlisted man. So like not, you know, like not climbing the ranks like JT is. Yeah, yeah. Um, JT gives him some words of encouragement and, you know, just says, you know, watch after the kid. And, and then he then he leaves. And uh, Right. And there's, sorry, just to interject. There's that one like really just kind of, I think, touching moment where he's like, come on, let's go get you some food at the mess hall. You'll feel better. And he's like, oh, oh no, I should, I should stay here in case the kid wakes up. Might need something. And it's just like, really touching. 
you know JT went to the mess hall and like sent food back to Brodsky immediately because you know he knows Brodsky's always hungry. Exactly. <laughs> and he's a he's a bro. He's a re- I'm sure JT's <laughs> a real bro. Uh, but Mar- but then Marcus and Winfield are start arguing about uh, what they're going to do when they reach uh, the pirate base and. There's a little bit of continuity here that I can't quite understand because they're talking about one of Jupiter's moons, Tethys, but then later they're talking about another moon, uh, Enceladus. Mm -hmm. And I'm not sure which they're actually attacking. I think it's Enceladus. And I'll I'll get to why I think that later. But this this little, little weird continuity tidbit where I got a little confused about what was going on. And uh, we... Glad you say that. Sorry, because no, like, the first time we uh, watched this through, obviously I was very high. Uh, yeah. So I just thought that I was like unable to follow the story because there were definitely points where I was just like, I have no, I have no clue what's going on right now or why we're doing this or like where we're going. <laughs> there's, there's a lot of, po- there's a lot of things like uh, we said in the first episode when they say Bronski's injured and he won't be able to come on the next mission, and then immediately ten seconds later, Bronski is on the mission. Right, yeah, right. Things, it's like, oh, well, he's different, kid. He's tough, unlike you. Th- but things, things like that, where they 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 do something and they kind of drop it real quick, or they have a little bit of clumsy exposition. I can understand completely why, if you may be in an influenced state of mind, you're like, where are they going? Uh, yeah. Right. <laughs> I had an B complex, and I was very confused. You know, we need we need to get you a B complex chaser. I'm gonna say that forever from now on. It's gonna be in my mind. <laughs> Um, it, it, we get to this great scene where Charles McKenna is like trying to interview Maggie Weston while she's fixing Kaz's uh, exo fighter, and she's just like, she's just like, I'm busy, go away. <laughs> and he's like, Well, uh, there you have it, folks. The uh, the pressure of battle can crack even the toughest nut in exo fleet. And I really wanted Maggie to turn around and just like weld his face shut. <laughs> <laughs> right. I don't know why I hate Charles McKenna so much. Well, I think you're supposed to, right? He's yeah. that he's that like archetype of this just like god awful tabloid journalist that like comes into being really in the eighties and the early nineties. You know, it's like the kind of I guess like kind of classically embodied in like people like Geraldo Rivera, right? Just these like hyper aren't there really to like give you any kind of news or perspective on anything, but to just get you the most sensational story they can just to drive ratings, right? Yeah. Hey, that's that is exactly why I hate him. Uh, and and then just a brief glimpse of JT reviewing the battle footage, and you get more of a sense of like how seriously JT takes his job. He doesn't want any of his people being uh, at so much risk that they would pass away from from battle. And we go back to Napier, who is in the hospital. He's been fired by the mayor at this point, and. The police captain? I'm not sure what her rank is, but again, another another one of these like awesome haircuts where it's a mohawk, but she still has like the sides, <laughs> like a skullet almost. Uh, and, she also had an amazing accent. She did. She I I wanted to chalk that up to like a Chicago accent, but I don't know a Chicago accent well enough to say whether or not that's what it was. It sounded like someone who sat down and watched a bunch of those old Chris Farley, like the bears skits and like attempted to then model a Chicago accent on that. Like it's, it's not even, you can't even like reap. I, I like, I wouldn't even attempt to imitate it because it just sounds so bizarre. 
Napier, you were kicked out of the Exo Squad because of an attitude. That same problem is about to get you booted off the force. The mayor wants you to apologize to Phaeton in public. <laughs> How great would it be if Chris Farley was the police captain? <laughs> right. Voiced by Chris Farley. As voiced by Chris Farley. Uh, <laughs> you should just, you should like edit like a little segment of her speaking it like right here because it's just too funny. I don't know. Yeah, I think I figured out how to do that. I'm definitely going to be doing that in this episode. Okay. Uh, I think I figured out how to record audio at, that my computer puts out in the speaker with audacity. So that that'll be good. That'll be good. Perfect. I'll, I'll be able to do that from now on. Um, but she tells she tells Napier that if he apologizes publicly, he'll get to keep his job. And you know, it's this little touching moment where he's like, "What would you do, Captain?" And she's like, "Well, I would apologize, but I'm not you." And he leaves. He he loses his job and he leaves the hospital. And he sees a graffiti artist who is making this like who has like hologram spray paint. That's uh, awesome. I love yeah. spray paint. It's fantastic. <laughs> like, All the colors in one can too, right? Well, it's like it looks like it's a pre I don't know. The only way, because I, I actually spent a lot of time thinking about this for some reason, I was like, the only way I can think to do it is like it's some sort of weird digital three D printer spray can, and so you actually do the design like on your, I guess like back in nineteen ninety two, no one thought you could do this on a desktop computer, but like you design the like the graffiti somewhere, and then you upload it somehow to the spray can, and then the spray can just sprays the whole image on, and then it projects like yeah, exactly like a hologram off the wall. I don't know why I gave it that much thought, but. <laughs> That, but that's, your, that's your billion dollar idea right there. Right? You did you, you better patent that shit. That's a good idea. That's a great idea. Oh mm. hang on, I'm gonna patent it. Because <laughs> <laughs> I was I was like really confused the first time watching this, and I was like, oh maybe this is this is just me being high, but like I didn't understand that the graffiti was supposed to be um like a demonic form of a Neo sapien. I was just like, oh, that's just like some interesting demon graffiti cool but that that brings that brings up the next part so it's like like you said it's this demonic neo sapien with horns and phaeton's like state car drives down this alley for some reason almost runs over napier who's flat on his ass because he he's fallen over because he's drugged out from the painkillers and he tried to chase this graffiti artist and they almost run over him and they stop by this graffiti and the the lady Neo Sapien, Livia, which is, I believe, a reference to Augustus's wife from hmm. Roman history, right? Uh, is it Livia? Yeah, sure. yeah I, I think that's that's the only thing I could find where that name might might be from. But uh they, they stop and they look at this graffiti and he's like, horns. Horns could be very useful. Yes. <laughs> Curious. Horns. Horns could be very useful. <laughs> Are you right? It is Livia. I don't know why for the last, like, all the time watching this, I thought it was Nivea, like the fucking skincare brand. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think all of the Neo-Sapien, like, command has some kind of reference in their name. Because I know there's, there's another, no, maybe it's a guy. One one of the Neo Sapien generals is named Shiva, right? Mm. And then I, there's a there's one or two others that have names like that. 
Well, I think like a lot of the new sapien names, like they seem to like lift the, lift a lot of them out of antiquity, um, mm. just to kind of make them sound a little more like I don't know, um, like fancy sounding or at least like I don't know, like archaic or alien sounding, I guess. Yeah, no, I, I think you're right. Uh, but who picks those names? Do they get to pick them? Or does the person who like registers them as they come out of the vat is like your name? You look like a phaeton. Yeah, <laughs> right. But that's like that's what's I don't know. That's that's the where this like franchise really needs a, like a more expansive update because that's like super interesting stuff to explore. Is like what is the birthing culture like? Do they pick their names? Are they assigned their names? What are those marks on their forehead mean? Like what is it like to be? Um, you know, like in like, you know, like what is the actual relationship between different broods? Because it's something I'll talk about later is like, you know, these broods are, um, you know, like siblings, basically, like, you know, all, as 50 of them are all rolled out in the same set of vats, like they kind of think of themselves as brothers and sisters. And it's like, well, that's, you know, like this is all stuff that like, obviously, this children's cartoon that's like kind of focused on the action is not going to explore. But like, I think like a, an update to this could really get into some really interesting material here. No, I agree. Uh, in I, I, I almost wish there was some untold story where they didn't have names until, like, they had serial numbers or something until the uprising, mm. and then they all chose their own names. That would be sweet. That would be super awesome. I also, just while we're on this topic, uh, <laughs> why, why do they have genders? Uh, I don't. <laughs> I don't want to be politically incorrect and like um, how do I say conflate gender with sex, but I was like they're they're reproducing asexually. So like, why do they have lady ones with boobs? Right, That's where this is, question is going. <laughs> you, you know, you know the real answer is is because whoever not not even not even going to like the meta level of the writers and shit wanting to just put like lady neo sapiens in, but you know, like some weird do some weird geneticist who made the who like invented the neo sapiens was like you know what we need boob neo sapiens <laughs> i mean yeah though well because you gotta you gotta figure like if this were a more adult oriented show like yeah these creatures these creatures were bred for slavery which undoubtedly like there's no way especially in like you know a shitty continued capitalist future that like these Creatures have been also bred for sexual slavery, right? Right, and that 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 would be the horrible adult version of this with right. all with all of that kind of garbage, where it'd be like, Ugh, no, no, too far, HBO, too far. <laughs> right. I'm trying. I'm trying to find. Uh, yeah, neo, neo sapiens. Neo sapiens don't have nipples. What? This is this is the burning question that I had as we started to talk to this. Do Neo Sapiens have nipples? And I'm seeing like pictures of the Neo Sapien uprising in their in their uh kinda in their loincloths and armbands, <laughs> and they do not have nipples. So do do lady Neo Sapiens have nipples? These are the burning questions I need to have answered. Well, Mignot, write me if that's how you pronounce your name. <laughs> also write us with the correct pronunciation of your name because we yes yeah out. please please tell me send me send me an audio file oh and speaking of audio files when, when you said you, you like see you sent that audio file to me about the cliffhanger 
that the series the, the, the lost episode, yeah. I fucking lost it. <laughs> that, was, that made my fucking night. I, was just, <laughs> I just started laughing. It was great. Uh, that in here in this episode. <laughs> I, I think I'll, I'll save it. I'll save it for the uh, final episode. So I can be like, yeah, this, yeah. Is, this is, this is what an adult reaction is to seeing this last episode. And maybe, maybe serious. <laughs> I was, I was, um, I was shook. We could say it. Yeah. <laughs> it was uh it was something <laughs> so uh we we had the we had this scene again just demonstrating like foreshadowing like something's up with the neo sapiens and we cut back to nara dictating another message to her family back on venus as the squad gets ready to recon tethys this moon around saturn yeah uh and Takagi is upset that he can't go on the mission, and this is where JT's the he says, but Takagi's injured, Bronsky's injured, and JT's like, ah, he's different. And then he, of course, accentuates that with a belch and throwing away the wrapper to a candy bar or something, and like Bronsky, littering. I feel right. like I feel like Maggie would have walked over and thrown it back in his like e frame as the as the hatch was closing, be like, fuck you. <laughs> right. And uh, the, it, he says something to Rita. I don't have it written down, but she it, you get this feeling that Rita Torres likes Bronsky's sass. Like she's mm. she almost sees it as like endearing. Maybe maybe not. Maybe maybe I'm misreading that, but I think over the course of the series, yeah, there's like definitely um, like a friendship there, like a like mutual admiration. I think um, that will, you know, there's there'll be episodes where we can talk about that in more detail. But I do think there's like a friend. There's like there's definitely like some kind of bond there for sure. They, they've probably saved each other's lives a whole bunch of times, right? And, and I think like if you look at both of them, they're kind of both coded working class, right? Like they're both non commissioned. You know, they're they're enlisted. Um, you know, like, you know, Nara's Nara's like, you know, she comes from this like nice middle-class farming family and like is a lieutenant. JT's a lieutenant. Maggie, like obviously has some like technical know-how, is probably college educated. And then you get these two who are just kind of the grunts, right? They, they, they're, they're not privates, but they are, they are on that side of things. Yeah. Non-commissioned. Uh, yeah. yeah. And uh, so they, they take off for this recon mission and we get it. We get a good space battle between able squad and three pirate ships. And we get, we get to see Rita and her cool suit with her lightsaber. And I was like, yeah, fucking lightsaber. <laughs> I forgot about that shit. Right. Like, why is uh, this not used more? Yeah. Like, well, why doesn't everyone have a lightsaber? It seems like the best thing you could put on the armor, your E-frame in case someone gets close. Instead, some people get like chomping claws and shit, like the little the grappling hooks and shit, but no, give me more lightsabers. Um, that one of the pirate ships gets disabled and I couldn't really tell, did they blow themselves up so they wouldn't be captured or did they just blow up because their ship was damaged? That was, that was really confusing. My note here says no choice, but to surrender or explode. Like <laughs> they're, they're they literally say we have no choice, but to surrender. And then the next shot is the ship exploding. So again, I'm glad that was not just me smoking too much fucking Colorado weed. Like, I did not understand what was happening. I mean, I, I kind of always just read that scene, like, even as a kid. For that scene, actually, for some reason, it's, like, stuck with me ever, what are, what are we up to now, 25-plus years here. 
Um, and it's just always like the, oh, I'll show you. I do have another choice. Like, fuck you. I'm going to blow myself up. I'm a space pirate motherfucker. Like, I do what I want. Do, do, you think, do you think that society has done away with the death penalty at this point? The who? Um, like, Earth society? Yeah. Uh, for humans. Maybe. See, they, you know, what, 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 would be, what would be the punishment for being captured as a pirate? Just the life imprisonment or something? Yeah, I, yeah, it could be. I mean, but I think it's more like the pride of it, right? Like the, yeah. like these, it, especially as we learn more about the pirates um, down the line, I think it's just the pride of not being captured by the exo fleet who they detest, right? They loathe these people, they hate these people, and it's like I would rather die than be defeated by you, right? Like this is, and the way that Marsh frames it as like you only have this choice, you can only surrender, and he's like, no, fuck you, I have my, I'm still in control here, I can control my own fate in a way that you can't, and you will not have that control over me. Because um, I think it's like, it's very much the pirates are like, this kind of like archetype of like, just like the free people, you know, it's like their freedom is like their important thing, like as they exist in the fringes of like, you know, the inner um, planet society and all of that. I didn't, I didn't think about this until you said that right now, but they're, they're, they're the people beyond the wall. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Or like, you know, like the, the show reminds me so much of The Expanse, obviously predates The Expanse. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if the guy that wrote The Expanse actually like watched this show as like a youth's. Um, but yeah, and it's like, like they're also like, they remind me a lot of the Belters also. They have that like weird kind of like accent and everything and like are very much, you know, have their own specific understanding of freedom and want to live apart from like the inner life of the solar system and all that. Uh, but at this point, they, they're going to chase after the last pirate in the, in the scouting group they, they find, but they get an order from captain Marcus to come back because Marcus has convinced Winfield that we don't need to send in the E-frames. We're just going to sit and shoot them with our main guns, which doesn't sound like a terrible plan. You know, why why risk why risk the e frames if you have if you don't have to? Uh, but JT is like, what? No, confirm that last order. And Winfield confirms it and says, "You have to come back. We're gonna we're gonna go with this new plan." And then right. the episode ends. Which can we just pause here for a second? Because it's not just that, like you know, I mean, I, whatever else. I don't think like Marcus is exactly trying to think about good strategy, but like he seems to just have this antipathy toward. Um, E-frames and like what is that it's like you're called the exo fleet the entire thing is built around the notion of e-frames and he's like no nah, i want to use the cruisers i hate these e-frames and he like really seems to like hate marsh in particular but like in broadly speaking like he never wants to see you know never wants to send the e-frames out it's always like let's get in there and just blow shit up with the cruisers i feel like i i feel like he he would be you know that it would almost be you know that stereotypical feeling of like the uh, it would i would think of in today the admiral of a navy who's like why would we send in troops if i could just sit here with my battleship and shell them into oblivion right right and there and, is oh go ahead sorry and winfield winfield takes a more uh granular point of view where he's like no you can't just win a war that way you have to actually go in and take the area because no matter how much you shell it, you're going to have some resistance still left over. Right, right. And I mean, I think like, you know, there's like a lot of parallels, uh, direct parallels in the show to World War II. And it seems to like really kind of um, latch on to World War II as a sort of like, you know, uh, subtext for the whole thing. 
Um, you know, especially like Phaeton just is Adolf Hitler through and through and even talks about, you know, like the final solution to the human question or whatever. And like all this stuff, like uses a lot of this, like, you know, like very direct references to Nazism. And like, I wonder if that isn't like also some like, you know, like the, the sort of change in naval doctrine that happens over the course of World War II away from capital ships and towards, you know, um, aircraft carriers, right? Yeah. Well, do you think, do you think maybe there's some, uh, who is, who is that crazy ass general in the World War II slash Korea era? Like, MacArthur. Yeah. Do you think like Marcus is supposed to be MacArthur and, <laughs> and Winfield is supposed to be um, like Nimitz or something? Yeah. I was, I was even just going to say FDR. Mm. Or like um, Eisenhower, maybe. Yeah. I, 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 don't know enough, I don't know enough about the history and the timing of those people to make sure that analogy is correct. But there's some reason in the back of my mind, I'm thinking that. I could see, like, I could see. Um, Marcus, especially Winfield. Okay. Like, I think he's a sort of composite of a bunch of different like notions, like ideas of what a general should be. But I can see Marcus is like, he's brash. He's arrogant. He often just reacts to situations and doesn't exactly, um, uh, doesn't exactly, um, think things through and definitely seems like he's in love with his own self-constructed legend. And in that sense, like, yeah, I could see him definitely like that's, that's very MacArthur esque for sure. You know, maybe he just, has some sort of childhood trauma, like maybe his older brother was killed in a horrible E-frame accident. <laughs> and every time he sees an E-frame now, he's like, no, I can't. <laughs> the exploration of Mark of Captain Marcus's secret traumas. Um, <laughs> yeah, and I'm here for it. I'm here for HBO. Let's, yeah, let's right. <laughs> he is like he's a great character. You know, I mean like he's awful. You hate him. I remember as a kid I fucking hated Captain Marcus so much. Because yeah, we'll, we'll get into all his dumb bonehead decisions as we go down, but like, it just I fucking loathe him as a kid. But he's he's gr a great character for that, right? He makes you like really get invested in the story and dislike him. Um, and like, even the voice actor I think plays him to the hilt. He's perfect. Yeah. Oh, speaking of voice actors, I know we ra we ragged a lot about uh, some <laughs> about how we really didn't recognize any of the voice actors in this mm -hmm. show and any work they did afterwards there is one uh, one person who really did do something noteworthy after this uh jt marsh's voice actor is Ooh. the beast in beauty and the beast no shit Wait, what, the disney animated film yeah yeah no shit i'm gonna have to rewatch that now that's yeah hang on that's incredible <laughs> that's also, wouldn't it have been cooler at the end of Beauty and the Beast if he'd turned into, like, J.T. Marsh? <laughs> I'm going to be honest, even as a little girl, like, I fucking love Beauty and the Beast because it's, like, the only brunette princess at that point. I th oh, I guess, like, it was Jasmine from Aladdin, but, you know, I, I was not trying to, like... Uh, I think Aladdin came after, too. I, can't, I can't remember. Like, I love that movie, but at the end where, like, Beast turns into, like, that blonde prince, I was just like, mm -mm, no. Like, <laughs> even as a child, my, like, nascent sexuality was just like, go back. Go back to Beast mode. Like, that's hotter somehow than this weird fucking blue-eyed, blue blonde-haired dude. Where'd my large, hairy hunk go? <laughs> <laughs> right? Like, why am I stuck with this just, like, pale, boring guy? My love of Sambaka, my love of Beast. <laughs> like, so, slight again, uh, slight divergence. Kayvon, 
have you have you seen the fifth edi- the Dungeons and Dragons fifth edition uh, Dungeons Master Guide? I so fun fact, I'm scared of change as as like far to the left as I am. I'm scared of change in a lot of things in my life. So I'm actually still running a three five campaign. That's amazing. I've never More actually power even looked inside a um a fifth edition book before. The um the in the DMG there is a picture of a dude in a red shirt fighting a werewolf on a castle parapet. <laughs> and it is 100% straight ripped from the screen of Beauty and the Beast, Gaston fighting the beast at the top of the castle. That's beautiful. Like no no question about it. It's it's so blatant. <laughs> Disney's like really um, protective of their, what do you call it, like intellectual copyright. Yeah, they are super protective. I feel like this maybe flew under their radar, but it is, it is incredible. Just the brazen ripoff <laughs> that it is. It's really good though. Like the art's good. Um, yeah. Oh, we should start a D and D podcast. No, no. One thing at a time. Yeah. One thing at a time. So I just shared the link in um, the Discord chat. And like, this might be worth talking about sometime just because I <laughs> I love that someone has so lovingly and painstakingly like archived the Exo Squad. Yeah. Um, and I found them through Instagram. And the Instagram is basically just photos of all the toys, mostly. Uh, but if you go to the, the little drop-down menu for cartoon and then under scripts, you'll find there's two scripts. Uh, Season one, episode nine. So we should probably take a look at the script for that before we do that episode. And then there's another one, season two. And then at the bottom is the show Bible, which is like, or I don't know, I guess just really cool fucking. <laughs> oh, <laughs> like, yeah. From back, back before they changed the name and they were going to call it ExoForce. Right. And it's like background information, creative stuff. Like it's stuff you don't even know. Like there's a whole timeline here of Earth's history um there's a little like write-up on you know history of the 21st century character bios i also find it really interesting if you look at the original one that jt marsh was initially lieutenant mace corbett um, <laughs> that was his original name and if you go to somewhere else on this side i can't remember where you now like there's a bunch of marketing material that they made initially with mace corbett and it's kind of JT Marsh, but like slightly different. Like he's got a different haircut. Um, so there's like some really. Sorry, go ahead. Sorry, is 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 that what these pictures are? Where he has like brown hair and like yeah. he's got like the Jerry curl instead of the slick back that he has. Exactly. Um, so there's like a bunch of stuff, and actually this website's been updated since the last time we recorded. Like this person's wow. obviously working on it right now, which is great. Um, yeah, so. It's just really cool. I fucking love it. That that's the end of episode two, everyone. Uh, next time we'll be covering episode three, and uh, depending on usually depending on how much material we get out of it, we'll be doing one to two episodes every ep- of Exo Squad for every episode of the podcast, just to give everyone listening an idea of what they should be watching for. And we will, I will eventually post the schedule so you can keep up with episodes as we go through them. Uh, to kind of stay along. But for now, that's all for the day. Thanks everyone for listening, and we hope to see you next time. Have a great one. Mm-hmm.